from the faraway land of Toronto. Is Toronto far away? In Western Canada, we think so, right? Anybody ever live in Toronto? I lived in Toronto. That's like half the congregation. Oh, my goodness. Wow. All right, so we got a guy from Toronto here. His name is Ryan Graham, and uh, he is a very, very key leader in our family of churches. He's the vice president of nurture and development in the CNMA here in Canada. And Ryan was a pastor prior to that in west side of Calgary at Westlife Church. Him and I go way back. We've had some fun times together. I'll talk about that in a moment. Uh, but he heads up something called Envision Canada as well. It's one of, one of his portfolios. And Envision Canada is something that God has laid on his heart and the hearts of our family of churches to raise up another generation of leaders for kingdom work. You're going to hear about it today, and I know you're going to be blessed. So he and his wife, Christana, and their three kids live in Toronto. Let's welcome Ryan Graham as he comes up here. Ryan, dude. It's been too long, buddy. This guy and I have had some fun times. I, I, what comes to mind is Orlando. I'll leave it there. Pri I was say, what are you going to share, Sandy? Yeah, pri <laughs> private joke. And uh, we were on a kind of a mission probe trip in Toronto. I remember back in ago. 010 or something like that. Yeah. And walking the streets of Toronto, praying over neighborhoods, meeting with mission leaders. And lo and behold, you got called to Toronto. Yeah. So it's dangerous to pray for places, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. We love you. Good to have you here. Welcome. And now the mic goes down because I want to say some things about this guy in front of the people that he leads. You know what? Uh, Sandy is not just a good friend of mine, but this is an influential voice uh, and a person with influence in our family of churches in the Christian Missionary Alliance. And I know he's doing a phenomenal job in leading this, but I want you to know that he has a reach outside of just these walls. And he is a voice and a friend that I will always listen to. So I am grateful for this guy, Thanks, big friend. time. Thanks. And you're blessed to have him. Thank you. All right. Your mic up here. All right. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna dive into it because uh, I have to catch a flight in like an hour and a half. And I'm really long-winded today. So no, I'm not at all. Let me pray for us, and uh, and we'll dive into it. Jesus. I'm so grateful to have the chance to be in front of this congregation, in front of this group of people who you know and you love and are using in this city. And Father, I want to pray really very intentionally that in these next minutes, illumination, the, the process of your Holy Spirit helping us understand your scriptures in a way that maybe we haven't before comes to this room. And Jesus, I pray that there'd be some people who would come alive today to you and some things that you long to do in their lives and that they would see you in the journey we're about to take, Father. So I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So how many of you, if I say Numbers chapter 13 and 14, how many of you are like, oh yeah, I know that one? Yeah, see, there's a hand. He's like, no. In the first service, there was something like, I really do know what when you're talking about, Ryan. Don't you, don't you hate it when people come up to you and you go, well, you know, you know what it says in John chapter 4, right? And you're kind of like, no, actually, I don't know what it says in John chapter 4. I need my Bible in front of me to understand what it says. Numbers 13 and 14 is an amazing story that we're going to spend some time digging into. A little while ago, I was in a room uh, for a, a day of meetings, and, and it was all like denominational, different presidents and DSs and VPs, and so seasoned leaders were in this room, and the guy that was tasked with giving the morning devotional, we were going to dive into the scriptures first. He starts by throwing up two names on the screen, and he says, does anybody know who they are? 
In the whole room, we all kind of looked at those names and went, no, no, I haven't got a clue. Puts up two more names. Still, we're all kind of going, I don't know who these people are. Now we're starting to feel bad as like pastors and theologians that we don't know our biblical characters. Throws up more names and more names. Finally, there's, there's 10 names up there. And a few people at this point were starting to kind of go, oh, yeah. And then finally, he flashes the names Caleb and Joshua. And in, in that room, we all went, oh, those 10 that none of us knew the name of were the 10 that didn't get it, that missed it. But Caleb and Joshua, they got it. In the next minutes, we're going to take a look at an amazing story. Okay, and I'm going to, I'm going to set it up. I'm going to give some of it away because I want you to be paying attention to something very intentional. Because if we can capture this, what happened in their lives, I guarantee it can happen in your lives. So in the middle of that ruckus, in the middle of these guys who totally miss it, you have these different voices, Caleb and Joshua, who got it. Somehow they were able to be a people of a different spirit, to speak something different into the room. And I am willing to bet that even though this is an amazing story of leadership, both epic failure of leadership and amazing success, and it is an amazing story of when you miss what God is doing, actually sometimes there are consequences for that. In this situation, it was an entire nation's generation that missed out. And we're going to talk about that in a minute. But not only is this a great story of leadership, there is something that happens in these guys' lives that allowed them to see different what was before them and to be a different spirit and change history because of it. And, and I want us to discover what it was that made them different today, okay? So as we're working our way through this, I want you to be paying attention. What made, we're going to focus more on Caleb than Joshua, but what made Caleb different? Because I promise you, if you can discover that, I bet you any money that what made him different can make you different, and you can live a radically different life than your neighbors and your friends. And God can use you for his kingdom in ways you could have never dreamed. So pay attention. Pay attention. So here's the setup, right? Here's the setup. Num Numbers chapter 13, verse 1. It's called Exploring the Land. It said, The Lord said to Moses, Send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites. Key, key line which I am giving to the Israelites. From each ancestral tribe, send one of its leaders. One of its what? Remember that. So, the Lord's, so at the Lord's command, Moses sent them out from the desert of Paran, and all of them were the leaders of the Israelites. These were not randomly selected individuals. They didn't go eeny, meeny, miny, mo. Oh, you get it. You're the one that's going to go. They weren't unknowns. These were people of influence. These were spiritual leaders to the 12 tribes of Israel, right? I want you to understand that with clarity. Not random people. They were known. They had influence, and they had a voice. So uh, what happens in the story? The 12 head out, and they've got instructions. We want you to bring back a report. What's the land like? Uh, what's the vegetation like? How's the soil? Is it lush? What are the cities like? What are the peoples like in that land? And so these guys, they head out, the 12 tribes, all of them together, and they all see the exact same thing. And they scout out the land, they come back, they bring their report, they've got some of the fruit. They're like, yeah, look, it is flown with milk and honey. It is lush. It's a great, it's beautiful. Great fruit is produced here. But, but Moses, dude, 
There are fortified cities out there. There are vast armies out there. The Anak are there. These huge people are there. Moses, if you think we can go into that land and take this land, you are dreaming. Moses, this is a no-go. Moses, this is ridiculous that you're even asking us to consider this. In fact, I think you're a crazy leader, and we need to find someone to replace you. Seriously. If you flip over to Numbers chapter 14 and verse 1, we'll put it up on the screen. You don't have to flip there. Here's, here's how the people respond, okay? This is the intensity by which they listen to those 10. It says, that night, all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, if only we had died in Egypt. A little melodramatic, if you ask me. A little over the top, right? That's how emotionally wrapped up these spies caused the entire nation of Israel to become. They said, why is the Lord bringing us into this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and our children are going to be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And so they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. It's quite a response, isn't it? I recently heard a speaker make the comment, most of our lenses are not gospel lenses. Most of the lenses that we view the world through are not gospel lenses. They're, they're selfish lenses. And selfishness is really cute when you're two or you're three or you're four. It's cute. When you're an adult longing to join God on his mission, it's not cute anymore. So the Israelites, right, the 12 spies or the 10 spies and the rest of Israel, they're looking at this from one perspective, their perspective, a selfish perspective. And from a human perspective, if you're just looking at this strictly from a human perspective, you know what? I would probably, listen to what I'm saying, only from a human perspective, I would probably agree with them. That looks like a pretty tough task. Those Anak, they're real big dudes. When you look at things from a human perspective, sometimes the lenses that you view it either draw you in or push you a little bit further out. But in the midst of that ruckus, another voice comes. You ready? Here comes Caleb. He was different. In uh, chapter 13, verse 30, it says this. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, No, we should go up and take possession of that land, for certainly we can do it. What made him so confident? It's in the text. In fact, I read it to you a little, a little bit earlier. Then in 14.7-9, again, right after the big cry fest that Israel has, here's what Caleb says to everybody. And he said to the entire assembly, this is Caleb talking, the land that we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. And if the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flown with milk and honey, and he will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord. Do not be afraid of the people of that land, because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Don't be afraid of them. Who's doing what in this? From Caleb's perspective, who's doing what? Is it the people that are going to take the land? He's saying, no, 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 no. God has gone before us. Their protection's gone. We have the protection of Yahweh. He's doing the work, right? Listen. The lenses that we see the world through are either going to draw us into the mission or they will pull us back into perceived safety. 
the safety of our seats, the comfort of our home, the safety of the, the seats in our churches. That's tough out there. I'm not putting that on this church, but a lot of times we've got people sitting in a lot of pews, in a lot of chairs, in a lot of churches, and it's their refuge. It is the way they can keep from actually engaging in the space that matters. How you view the world, who you think the world belongs to, is either going to draw you in or it's going to pull you back into perceived safety. You know, the first time I heard this text taught, I became so captivated by the fear of the Israelites that I almost made, I almost missed what made Caleb and Joshua so different. They're with the same group, right? They're part of the 12. They saw the exact same stuff. They were, they were there. They saw the Anak. They saw the armies. They saw the, the, the fortified cities. So what caused them to have a different spirit? What made them totally different than the other 10? How are they different? Because if we can't figure that out, you know what? <laughs> We're not going to have it come to bear in our lives. And what's interesting is that this whole thing is set up in verse 1. The whole thing was set up by God in verse 1 when he's talking to Moses. Moses gathered 12 leaders from the tribes of Israel and send them out to bring back a report of the land that, what did he say? That I'm given to you. He didn't say, go send them out to see if we can do it. He didn't say, go send out the spies, bring back a report, and then we'll evaluate the pros and the cons. Ah, he didn't say, go tell us whether or not we can go do it. He said, go send them out and let's just bring back a report of what we're in for, because we're going. And notice, when the 10 rile up all the Israelites and they have their big cry fest, oh, we should have died in Egypt and all this stuff. God wasn't really put off by that, was he? His response, if you read the text, and I challenge you this week, read through Numbers 13 and 14. If you read and dig into it, he wasn't really put off of it. Oh, no. What am I going to do? I can't do what I want to do in my people's lives. They don't want to go, so now my hands are tied. I guess I can't be God. Right? No, actually, his response was really clear. Nation of Israel, you're out. In fact, it's going to be 40 more years until you take the land that I promised to give to you because your entire generation, all of you who gathered together and listened to the tent, that entire generation has to die out in the desert. Then, Caleb and Joshua, you're still going to be here and you will lead my people into that land. You know, every generation needs to evaluate. Are we going to be a generation that gets it? That understands what God's doing? Or misses it? Don't be a generation that misses it, folks. This is all his. God is still at work. And he's using people. What's interesting is that we actually don't, we don't hear from Joshua for, or from uh, Caleb again for 40 years. You hear about Joshua all the time, right? We got the book of Joshua, we see the chronicle of him being mentored by Aaron, you know, and, and Moses, and I, actually, I love Joshua chapter one. Everybody's always kind of like, what's going to happen when the younger generation has to take the lead? We're hooped, we're, we're in trouble. You know, that's, a, that's been going on for generations. It happened there too. And in fact, in Joshua chapter one, it says, Moses is dead. 
So Joshua stepped up, right? And we get the chronicling of, of, of Joshua, this amazing leader. I can't wait to meet this guy. But Caleb, silence. We hear about him in Numbers 13 and 14, but then silence all the way up to Joshua 14, chapter, chapter 14, verse 6. And all of a sudden, here is Caleb again. Now the people of Judah approached Joshua at Gilgal, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kezanite, said to him, you know, so this is Caleb talking to Joshua, right? You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God at Kadesh Barnea, about you and me, Joshua. You know what Moses said. For 40, I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land, and I brought back, I brought him back a report according to my convictions. My fellow Israelites who went with me made the hearts of the people melt in fear. I, however, you ready? Here's the answer to the question. What made him different? Here it is. I, however, followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. Wholeheartedly. So on that day, Moses swore to me, the land on which your feet have walked will be your inheritance and that of your children forever because you followed the Lord my God. There's the word again wholeheartedly. What does that mean to follow the Lord wholeheartedly? In the Hebrew, that word is the word malathi, M-L-A-T-H-I. And the direct translation of malathi is to fully follow. How do you be a person that brings a different spirit? How do you be a person who looks at the world, who looks at what's going on out there and understands that that is all his and he's still active in it. How do you bring a different perspective to that world? How do you look through gospel lenses? The answer was just given to you. It's by being an individual who fully follows. What does it mean to fully follow? If we're to give a kind of modern day word to that, I would say it's surrender. It's living a completely, to fully surrender all of you. Those songs that we sang this morning, they're ridiculous. They're awesome. Take all of it, Father. All of it is yours. Is that your life? Is all of it his? I mean, all of it. Can he use all of it? Clearly hear me. I am here with an agenda this morning, okay? I'm not going to mask it. I'm not going to try and make you discover it magically. No, no. I have an agenda. I am here to call this room of people to live fully surrendered lives to their king. There is no one in this room that needs to miss it. There is no one in this generation that needs to miss it. I'm calling us to be a people with a different spirit, with different eyes, viewing the world through different lenses, people who view the world through gospel lenses, who understand that we bring the gospel of peace. Let's talk about the gospel for a real quick second. What is the gospel? Is it an ethic? Is it a set of morals? Is it a set of values that you can base your life on? Actually, the answer is no. The gospel is a person. It's Jesus Christ. And all of this is his, people. And understand, he is doing stuff. Here's how this really plays out. And as you listen to what I'm about to share, you're going to think this story is about one person, but it's not. 
I want you to pay attention to how many people had to live fully surrendered, had to fully follow for what I'm about to share to happen, okay? Because there's a twist coming. A couple weeks ago, I was in uh, Senegal, and uh, many of you know that that's been a new field that we've sent a new team to. And it's a really interesting place right now because uh, we've got our new team of Canadian international workers that are with what we call GM, Global Ministries. The Americans, actually not by choice because of some stuff that happened in Mali, they had to shift their team that was in Mali to Senegal. So we have the GM, the IM, IM is the American CMA team. And then we have what's called comma Zending, which is out of Holland, and so the Europeans that are sending international workers, they're there in Senegal. Now, all of this is in the last couple of years. And then uh, the uh, Latin American network of the CMA is sending international workers there as well. So we've got this coming together of Americans and Canadians and Europeans and Latin Americans, and they're trying to figure out what it is that God's going to use them to do. But one of the things that we, we don't own this, but it's completely run by CMA workers from all over the world, is we've got this clinic. So I was there because we're moving all of our activity for Envision uh, in what we call desert sand. We're moving it out of Niger, and we're moving that into Senegal as the place that we're going to launch a few things, okay? And so I'm there seeing a bunch of the different ministry opportunities and meeting with our team and helping them formulate some stuff. And on one of the days, we're at this clinic, okay? And this clinic is run by a commissending doctor, a female doctor who had no idea she was going to find herself in this situation. The two head nurses are Alliance International workers who, again, had no idea when they shared their story they would find themselves in this situation. And now, one of the spouses of one of the nurses, also one of our international workers, is now the chaplain of this clinic for a certain community in the city of Dakar. The head doctor who runs the clinic began to realize so much of what they're dealing with in the physical has its roots in the spiritual. So here's a doctor saying, we can't just meet the physical needs, they're spiritual. So now, uh, the day that I was there, we're going to call him Jay, the, the chaplain, he, got, he had just been given an office in there. And so he asked all of us to come in and to pray over this office because he knew already from the work he had already begun the kind of stuff that was going to take place in that office, and he wanted us to pray over it. And so we pray over it, claim Christ's authority over that room, and then we go off and we have lunch, okay? And we gather in another one of their rooms, and they bring out this big bowl of something, and they put it before us, and there's like spoons in front of them. We're going to share this big pot, and there's like eight of us there, and I'm just like, we're all going to share the same food? Really? Okay. And there's like a big fish head in there, and I don't like fish, but you know, you got to eat the stuff they put before you. I made it through it. Thank you, Jesus. And uh, as we're eating lunch... The nurse says, oh, hey, Jay, you got to tell Ryan about Ned. Uh, Ned's not his name that I'm going to share the story about. We're changing the names. He says, you got to share the story of Ned. So a couple months ago, Ned is in desperate need, and he's heard of this clinic where there's a Western doctor who's just changed the perception of this clinic in the community. And because he's in such need, he goes to the community, to the clinic to get help. And when he walks in the door, uh, the head nurse sees him because as he's walking in and he comes to the booth to check in, he keeps scratching at his ears. And she notices that there are all these open wounds that are literally oozing around his ears. And it seems like he keeps talking to somebody. And so she realizes, okay, this guy's got some stuff going on and it's spiritual more than it may be even physical. And so this head nurse is the wife of Jay, the chaplain. 
And so she calls the head doctor and Jay, and they get together, and they look at him in the, in the waiting room, and they go, there's something going on with this guy, and we need to you know, take him into a, a different waiting room. So they take him in, and they start asking him some questions. And as they begin to ask him some questions, Ned begins to share his story. And as he's sharing the story, he's still scratching at his ears, and they notice that he's got wounds all over his arms. And when they lift his shirt, he's got all these open sores all over his body. Like physical sores were manifesting from a spiritual reality in this guy's life. But then he begins to share his story. Turns out that Ned is a well-known fetisher in the community. Now, when I say the word fetish, you think something sexual. That is not the original intent of that word. That has to do with sorcery, actually. A fetisher is an individual who, pass, who puts spells on people. And this guy is a well-known fetisher in the community, so well-known that he's actually hired by the government to cast spells on people. He's hired by what's called the gendarmes, the police, to put spells on people. But over the years, not only would he listen to the police and the government who were hiring him to do this, he had a teacher his teacher was a voice that he kept hearing in his head that slowly over time began to overtake him. Part of the reason he was scratching at his ears is because every time the teacher would speak, he would scratch at his ears. And this teacher over time would begin to overtake his whole being and would tell him, you have to go to this intersection at this time. And when you get there, the teacher would speak again and say, now you see that individual sitting at that cafe? You need to cast a spell on that individual. And from across the street, he would cast spells by a whistling sound and the blowing of his lips, and then he would do something with his hands, and he would cast spells on individuals who never knew this was happening from a distance, and it began to overtake him. And as he was sharing his story to our team, he said, I got into this because I wanted to help people, and now I know I'm not, and it's so dark. So Jay and the team leave for a second. They said, we got to do some serious work with this guy. So they, he said, I'm going to call a few more of our international workers together. So they all congregate in a team of five. And one of the people that he called was a Senegalese uh, Pentecostal pastor who'd had some experience with this kind of stuff before. And they all go back into the room. Jay shares the gospel with Ned. And as he shares the gospel, Ned's like, this is what I've been longing for. I want to, I want to. But th then he begins to manifest in a pretty violent way. And so they claim Christ over him. They start praying over him. He starts manifesting. They think they're about to do some serious business, and he passes out. Ned passes out. And Jay's sitting there kind of going, ah. Okay, what do we do now? That Senegalese pastor who was in the room said, oh, this happens all the time. When people like this that have been so spiritually oppressed, when they encounter Jesus for the first time, their physical bodies are so exhausted from the oppression that they can't handle the release, and they pass out. They said, don't worry, he'll wake up in like five minutes. And he did. But as soon as he woke up, the first words that came out of his mouth were, where's my teacher? And they said, what do you mean? You walked in here alone. They said, no, where's my friend? Where's my teacher? He said, you walked in here alone. You didn't have anybody with you. And he said, no. And then, and then he names his teacher's name. He named the demon's name. And they prayed over that, and they did what they needed to do. I'm going to fast forward. Yeah, you know what? It's really cool. Ned has been set free. Amen. Ned has changed. Has had his life changed. He's come to know Jesus. He now wants to give his life 
to seeing the church in Senegal rise. Pretty cool. But this story is not about Ned. This story is about God. Now, I want you to find yourself in this story, okay? Hang on. Ned never walks into that clinic. Ned never walks into that clinic if a young gal in Holland doesn't respond to God's call to go to medical school to become a doctor. To a few years later, fall in love with a guy and get married to a guy who was supposed to be in business all of his life. But a few years after being in business, he feels God calling him to go to a seminary and get a degree. And a few years after that, they respond to God's call to go live in Africa. And she leaves reluctantly, not having a clue how God's going to use her as a doctor. If she doesn't respond, Ned never walks in that room. It's the story of a nurse who, growing up, always felt wanted to be in full-time ministry, wanted to be an international worker, but never felt God's confirmation or call. So she went to university and became a nurse, only to fall in love with a man who had the call of missions on, her, on his life, and they get married, and she finds herself living in Africa, serving as a nurse in a clinic. If she doesn't follow God's lead, she's not in the room to identify this guy who's got a problem. Oh, and by the way, I didn't say this part. A week after praying over Ned, all of the sores, all of the wounds, gone. None of this happens unless there's a whole bunch of people who live fully surrendered lives to their king. Where are you in this story right now? See, you got to know. God is writing a narrative right now, and you're a part of it. God is writing a story right now, and you are a part of that story. And what part is God asking you to play? See, here's the part that parents don't like it when I share this. Young people. I see more young people in different places. Listen, there is no script that you have to follow that mom and dad say you have to follow. There is no, I got to graduate high school, and then I go to university, and then I get a job that I hate, and I pray for a job that I might like so that I can make more money, and then I get married, and then I have kids. And I say, that is, not, that is, that is a lie of a Western culture, folks. There is no one in this room who, no matter what the unique gifting, skills, talents that God has given you, I didn't tell you a story about pastors, did I? I told you a story about nurses and doctors and business people who responded to God's call and went and changed someone's life. Where are you? You are all in a story. You are all part of this narrative. And I don't care how old you are, it's not too late. It is not too late. But sometimes when we hear stuff like this, we just don't know what to do next. Well, that's where some of the stuff that I've created gets to come into play in your life. So in the next minutes, I want you to learn about something called Envision Canada. We have created the next steps for our family in the Christian Missionary Alliance. For some of you, whether you are 18 or whether you are 77, I kid you not, we got 70-year-old interns out there right now. For you to take some next steps and seeing if God has got a call on your life or how he may want to use you. So watch this video, and then I'll explain what Envision Canada is in a second. We live in a world that's rapidly changing. From globalization to rising poverty, 
unrest, urbanization, the landscape of mission is changing. So the way we do mission must change too. As a resource of the CNMA in Canada, Envision Canada identifies and develops missional leaders who innovate, establish, and strengthen communities of faith in key urban environments. Through short-term trips, internships, apprenticeships, global careers, leadership development, and ministry resources, Envision Canada seeks to join God in what he's already doing here in Canada and around the world. Long-term workers serve with Envision in 12 countries around the world and growing. And through discipleship and immersion, we get the opportunity to engage in God's mission together. And we'd love for you to join us. So visit our website, envisioncanada.org, to find out how you can get involved. So you need to pay attention to that website, envisioncanada.org, because all of the pamphlets that I brought are gone after the first service, they told me. So uh, we'll get some more of these for you, but uh, when I, whenever I go out to speak in different churches, my team in the office, they always give me this because it is a kind of step-by-step. -step. Here are the ways that any individual, we created Envision to be a resource for all 515 congregations in the Christian Missionary Alliance in Canada. It's for you. It's not about us. It's all about you. And there are, in, with Envision, there are three ways that you can engage. Uh, the first is short-term trips, and I was just chatting with Ben, and he's already got that in the works for this church to engage in that next year. And uh, more of that information will come eventually. So, Ben, now you have to do it because I said in front of everybody you are. Uh, the second is, uh, is internships. And we have internships at our sites all over the world from anywhere from three months to a full year. And anyone can do an internship. You don't have to be graduated. Uh, we have a partnership with Ambrose. We have a partnership with uh, Pathways. We had a student from Carleton University go through with this and get credit for it. Uh, so there's all kinds of different opportunities of how you can use this internship, not only in your education, but in your own development. And the third is apprenticeships, okay? Those are two-year experiences where you go out as a licensed worker, you go through a development process, and you're on a team for two years to discern if this is what God has for you. And we're not just doing that around the world. We're doing it here in Canada as well. We have our first site in Montreal that has been launched, and they're accepting and, and receiving interns starting in the fall. So there are opportunities out there. But one of the main things that I've been getting feedback everywhere around the country is we need something for the kids coming out of high school that captures their heart for the DNA of what the Alliance is about. And uh, we haven't had any kind of gap year stuff in the past, but that is changing. And this year, we're going to launch, in uh, 2018, we launch three new gap year experiences for people that are between the ages of 18 and 20, whatever. So it doesn't have to just be uh, fresh out of high school. And the first is this one. So watch this. This is for those whose hearts bleed kindness, whose compass points to adventure, for those who never back down from the right thing and rise up when things go wrong. It's for the optimist, the doubter, the Jesus nerd, the bleeding heart, the I'm still figuring this out. It's for those who won't sit quietly when evil strikes, kicking at the darkness till it bleeds daily. This is for those who seek to do justice, to love mercy, to walk humbly with God. Injustice breaks your heart. You want to make a real impact with your life for God's kingdom, but you need space to explore calling and faith, wrestle with big issues, Figure out who you are, discover other cultures, find friends to journey with, mentors and teachers to help you weave together your one wild life. This is Justice Semester. Come to Phuket, Thailand. Take 12 weeks. Adventure deeper with us. You'll never forget it.
So the Justice Semester, a few people here and a few of you in different places, that launch is uh, January 2018 and it's already filling up. So all this information that I'm talking about and tangible next steps for you are on the website envisioncanada.org. All of it's there. Check it out and uh, we'd love to f- have the ability to you know, connect some of you to uh, what God's doing around the world. All right, stand up and I want to pray a blessing on all of you. Jesus, this room is filled with unbelievable potential. And I know that your spirit is speaking to some individuals right now, and they're kind of going, I got to see, I got to know, I got to taste and see if this is what God's asking me to do. And maybe my life can be given to something different than I thought. And Father, my prayer, I I just want to speak this into this room. Father, my desire and prayer for this room is that this would be a room filled with Caleb's and Joshua's who live different. Father, I pray that the individuals in this room of every age, I don't care what age they are, Father, I pray that this room would be filled with people who have a different spirit, who see the world through your eyes, through your lenses, and understand the place you have for them and the skills, the gifts, the resources that you've given them that they can truly be a part of changing this world and helping establish your kingdom come now, here the city of Airdrie and around the world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.